Good morning, ladies, all of you who might be tuning in to our Bible study this morning, interrupted by our friend COVID-19. Um, I'm so happy that you're able to tune in and to listen and to get in on this last lesson that we're teaching on the series on the Beatitudes. This is lesson eight. Hopefully you'll have gotten outlines for the lesson. Um, it'll help you today as I teach. I'm not using PowerPoint because you're not here and I'm teaching to an empty room. And we probably will not use the workbook at all at the end because you're not here to ask questions of. So we have a few things that are a little bit different, but I want you to um, think about what we are studying this morning. And before I begin the lesson, I want to just take a moment and ask uh, you to even bow your heads at home and let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can be here and we can be studying the word of God. You are not bound by time or place, by illness or wellness, Lord. You are always present, and we praise you for that. We ask that you would just take the words of this lesson this morning and bless them. Use them in the hearts of all of those who are listening. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the top of your outline... I have the question that we've had on there every week, and I just want you to take a look at it. It says, how do you feel about the prospect of persecution for your behavior as a Christ follower? We are Christ followers, and the Bible is filled with references to the fact that we will be persecuted as believers because Jesus was. The other half of this is, could you rejoice? The Bible is also filled with references to rejoicing as you are persecuted, because it's a mark of you believing in Jesus and following him. So we're going to turn to Matthew 5.18, or 5.8, and take a look at it. <clears throat> I want to just read, um, there are three verses that are involved in this uh, beatitude, verses 10 through 12. Just follow along with me in your Bibles, and I hope you have your Bibles open. I have a number of references we'll I'll be talking about today. So <clears throat> the beatitude is, and the main one is, blessed are you when, um, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we'll go on and talk about later, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we can expect to be persecuted. And what we're going to do today, I'm going to take these um, verses in sections. I want to start first with the first one in, in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what these verses are saying, all three of them together, is this is what is going to happen to you. First of all, we need to understand we live in a world with two value systems. One is based upon the word and the will of God, <clears throat> and the other one is based upon the world and the will of the world. One leads to righteousness, one leads to unrighteousness, and the two systems can't live together peaceably. They come up against each other. Persecution of one group inevitably follows. The Christ followers are persecuted by those 
or of the world. He's persecuted because he behaves in a certain way, and <clears throat> he stands out from the world. He's different from the people around him, and it bothers them. Excuse me. His behavior is convicting. They don't like what they see, even though there's nothing wrong with it. And so this final beatitude that we're going to be looking at is, is saying to us, this is what is going to happen to you if you are a Christian. You will be persecuted. 1 Timothy 3.12 says this, all who live godly lives in Christ shall suffer persecution. All of those who live godly lives in Christ shall suffer persecution. So what we're going to look at, first of all, is <clears throat> this beatitude. This is what is going to happen to you. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, we need to talk about our behavior because the emphasis in this beatitude is on our behavior because of righteousness. And so we read that we're persecuted because of righteousness. And then verse 11 says, because... Um, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say falsely all kinds of things about you because of me, because of Jesus. So our behavior then and our persecution occurs because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the righteousness that is persecuted, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ working its way through us and in us. It is not that we're antagonistic to others. It's not that we are obnoxious as Christians. Sometimes Christians are persecuted for being obnoxious. Sometimes they're persecuted because they're offensive. That's not what this is talking about. We're talking here about the righteousness of Jesus Christ being such that when the world looks at us, they are convicted and they cannot stand to be around us. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that righteousness and Jesus Christ are inseparable. The two go together. Jesus Christ himself is righteousness, and he is made unto us righteousness. 1 Corinthians says, Christ is made unto us righteousness. And so if we are persecuted, it must be because of the righteousness of Christ in us. Now, the Beatitudes talk about the righteousness of Jesus Christ in every single passage, even though it's not stated specifically. And I want to just take a look at that. If you have your outlines, I have some blank lines there. I'll help you fill them in as we go along. But first of all, we need to look at those Beatitudes and how they apply to us <clears throat> because they move us toward righteousness in Jesus. The first three Beatitudes, blessed are those who have poverty of spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. All of those speak to our spiritual needs, and we must find our fullness in Jesus Christ. The answer to those needs is only found in Jesus Christ. And it says um, on your outlines, the first three Beatitudes speak to our spiritual needs. We need the righteousness of Jesus. In order to meet any of those, the <clears throat> poverty of spirit is filled in the righteousness of Jesus. 
Our mourning over sin is filled because of the righteousness of Jesus. Our meekness is brought under control and used by God as we follow the righteousness of Jesus. And that moves us on to hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We then need, again, to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of Jesus. Not anything else, but to hunger for him, thirst after him, and we will be filled. That's the promise. And then the next beatitude is that we um, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, we need to be merciful to others. We need to see that need for mercy of, of those in the world who do not know Christ. And our hearts see that sin, and we mourn for them. And the righteousness of Jesus living in us speaks to the world through us. That takes us on to blessed are the pure in heart. Even a step greater than that righteousness, God calls us to purity, purity of heart, purity of righteousness, that our, that our lives be wholly committed to him, where we put him in control of all parts of our body, our soul, and our spirit, that we love the Lord with all of our hearts. And so God calls us to be pure in heart, to have a divided heart that serves the Lord, and the righteousness of Jesus then needs to become our righteousness. We need to yield ourselves fully to him, to the Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish, so that he works out his perfect righteousness in our hearts. And then the next step is we're called to be peacemakers. We cannot be peacemakers without the righteousness of Jesus living in our hearts. And so for each one of those lines that you want to fill in, just put in the righteousness of Jesus. That is who we need. It is what we need for righteousness to be in our lives. Now that brings us to the last beatitude. <clears throat> the one that I just read. This beatitude tells us things that we should expect in our lives as believers. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it many times during this lesson. Again, Matthew 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we arrive at this beatitude, we need to understand that when Jesus talks about persecution, oftentimes our thoughts go immediately to being um, tortured, being killed for the cause of Christ, being punished physically for the cause of Christ. And the Bible is full of examples of people being um, hurt, being tortured. Uh, being stoned, being put in prison because of their righteousness, because of their belief in Jesus Christ. But he also brings out some of these things that I think happen to us more than happen to those uh, who are put in prison. Uh, we are often not, we often do not 
have that type of problem in our country where we're so far not going to be imprisoned for our faith or punished physically for our faith. But Jesus talks here about things that do bother us and that are also classified as persecution. When people insult you, when they persecute you by insulting you, and, and if they say false things or all kinds of evil things about you, that hurts you and wounds you. And Jesus says that is a form of persecution. It's brought on to our lives by the enemy, by Satan, who also is behind all of the other persecution in the world. And sometimes what he will do is work on the circumstances in our lives, the people in our lives, the things that we do, as a, do for our living. And he will take those things, those people, those circumstances, and he will use them to insult us, to bring evil sayings against us, false accusations, all sorts of things. And that is a form of persecution if it is done to us because of our righteousness in Jesus. Not because we're not nice people, not because we're obnoxious people, not because we're not good workers or we get in people's way, but because of righteousness. That's the key. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so I want to take a little closer look at this um, beatitude. It says again, the promise in this beatitude is this, yours is the kingdom of heaven. The promise of the beatitude is the same as the first. And so at the beginning, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have bookends here. And everything that goes between them are things that Jesus talks to us about, about our behavior how he wants us to behave before him. What goes between them is true for all of us. And we are to aspire to have all of those things be a part of our lives. We don't get to pick and choose. Because all of them work together to create within us the character of Jesus. Just as our, our title says, Developing Christian Character or Spiritual Character. So we need to understand that we are all part of the kingdom of heaven. Remember we talked about in the first lesson how the kingdom of heaven is in us when we know Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it is also in all groups of behaviors, wherever Christians are, the king kingdom of God is present. The kingdom of God is present here on earth in us, available to us so that we can live like children of God and live like we're part of that kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that heaven also awaits us. So it's here now. And we know that we are to look toward heaven for our, our final blessing and for all that God wants to give. For great is our reward in heaven, this uh, beatitude says. But what we need to remember is we are all part of the kingdom of heaven. And as we come to know Jesus and as we become like him, we will be persecuted. And being persecuted is a normal mark of the believer. Now, many of us will say we've never been persecuted for the cause of Christ. 
maybe we need to look at our lives a little bit and see if we're too much like the world and we fit in too well. We're going to look later on at um, the lives of some, some of the apostles, and you'll see how they stood out from the world around them. We need to check ourselves on that as well. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read them in, in parts, but we, we want to get an idea here of the fact that we are persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. He says this very directly in this portion of Scripture. First of all, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind, and this is Jesus speaking, that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So, if we're hated by the world, it hated Jesus first. If we belong to the world, it would love us as its own. Then we go on and we read, <clears throat> Remember the words that I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you that way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You see, if they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute us because they see his life in us. Just a couple more verses here. <clears throat> if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. And this is the point of what Jesus is saying. The world feels guilt if we're walking with him because we convict them of their sin. Wherever Jesus went, he rubbed up against the world, and the world hated him. This is what he draws us into. He says, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. I lived here, and my life convicted them. And that's what we need to think about. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But here I am, and now they're guilty. So Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people, and he calls us to also make a difference. Let them see us be different. That's what he's talking about here. If they persecuted them, maybe we need to take a stand. They persecuted him so that they look at us and know that we stand for Jesus. That's what this is all about. Does the world know who you belong to? Now, let's keep going here. And I, I'm going to keep, like I said, repeating this again um, on your outline, if, if you have it and you're working through it. <clears throat> On number four, it says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. And we've just said persecution is a mu as much a part of the character of Jesus as all of the other Beatitudes are. And it ought to then follow that it would be a part of our lives. 
I want you to take a moment and look up a couple of other verses with me in um, 2 Peter. <clears throat> Let me just get this. Oh, it's 1 Peter 2.24. I think it is. Let me see if I've got the right. Yeah. 1 Peter 2.24. It says, um, I'm going to start at 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing good and you endure it? This is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And this is how we are to behave when we're accused. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, himself uh, to him who judges justly. And he who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus has done it for us. But then he asks us to follow in his steps. Then I'm going to have you turn to 2 Corinthians 4.16. Sixteen through eighteen. <clears throat> it says, and this is talking about us when we're persecuted, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Behind all of that persecution lies the hope of eternity. Heaven is our hope. Blessed are you, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. Our hope of eternity motivates us, keeps us walking with Jesus, despite the things that are hard for us. Now, the next part of this beatitude is what I think is most difficult for us. We'll be persecuted for righteousness, righteousness that makes people think of Christ. But then it says, if this happens to us, rejoice and be glad. For great is your inheritance in heaven. But great is your reward in heaven. It is a totally different thing to be glad for persecution. And yet, the Bible is full of evidence of followers of Christ who were glad for persecution. The early church was persecuted often. And we read in the book of Acts that they praised God because they were considered worthy of persecution. Very different from what we think about. We, we cringe at the thought of persecution. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. So what we are going to spend the rest of this time on this morning is how 
can a believer rejoice in persecution? That's a tall order. We know, first of all, that Christ lives in us. He, he was persecuted everywhere he went. He did not retaliate. He did not give back to them in kind the things that they had done to him or said to him. They hurled insults at him, and he didn't retaliate at all. He did not try to protect himself. He only continued to speak the truth. And on the cross, he died for us. We read in, in Hebrews that he endured the cross, despised its shame, but rejoiced at what he had done and accomplished through it. So how can a believer rejoice in persecution? On page three of the outline, I have some things here what we're going to talk about. Um, I want to read this uh, on page three of the outline. It says, how can a believer rejoice in persecution? And it says, before we can answer that question, we must deal with our righteousness before God and man. Is my righteousness of God? Is the way I live of God living in me? Is it pure? undivided, without any part of my nat nature, my natural man as its source? In other words, is God living through me? Are my motives pure in how I behave? Do I behave well for compliments? Or is it out of a heart that's longing to serve the Lord? Am I trying to glorify myself in any way by giving myself to a cause or giving myself to suffer? That's not what God is looking for. Or does my heart wholly belong to God? We've talked about that a lot during the study on the Beatitudes. Are we pure in heart, undivided in what we um, have given to God? And our lives before others will answer these questions. So again, how can a believer rejoice in persecution? One of the things that we need to do is to realize that God allows persecution to occur within us, to us, for his glory and for our growth. It is a way that he trains us and brings us into um, the kingdom of God, causes us to turn to him over and over again. As we come upon hard things in our lives, um, we talked last week about Philippians 2, 12, and 13, for it is God who works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. And it is God that allows me to go through these things. But one reason a believer can rejoice in persecution is persecution for the sake of Jesus is proof to me of who I am. I want you to think about that. Persecution for the sake of Jesus is proof to me of who I am. If I am persecuted for righteousness, it is a natural outcome of who I am in Christ Jesus. Remember, all those who believe in Christ shall be persecuted. If I am persecuted for the sake of righteousness, it is the outcome of who I am in Christ. It says to the world, I am a believer. If I am walking with Christ, I am identified with him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. I am crucified with Christ. 
The old man is done away with. I've yielded my life to him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, that old man is gone. Jesus lives in me. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if the world around me sees Christ living in me, it is proof that I belong to Jesus. If the world around me sees Jesus living in me, and they're offended by what they see, it's proof that I belong to him, because all who believe in Christ will be persecuted. It's a natural outcome. I also want you to look at, in your Bibles, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, because I want you to see how God uses persecution to train us. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, hope in heaven. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Here it is. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. God has us in his hands. He's poured out his love into our hearts. He's poured out the Holy Spirit in us. And he calls on us when we go through those difficult times to call on him to help us through it. It's proof that I belong to him. Now, I want to just talk a little bit of how this is played out in real life. And I'd like you to turn this time to the book of Acts. And I want to take you through Acts chapter 4 for a section that deals with the persecution of the early church and of the disciples, specifically here, Peter and John. Acts chapter 4 follows the occurrence of a miracle that occurred in, in Acts chapter 3. You maybe remember how Peter and John went into the temple and a man who had been crippled from birth um, called on them to be healed. And Peter said to him, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And the man did. And a crowd gathered. And the crowd grew louder and, and um, larger and larger. And Peter began to preach a sermon to them about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and how he had died on the cross for their sins. And many people listened and believed in him. Then we get to chapter 4 and we find out that the religious rulers have watched all this and know what has gone on, and they are alarmed because many people are following Peter and John. I'm going to just start in Acts chapter 4, 
verses 1, and I'm going to take you down to about verse um, 5 or verse 3. <clears throat> it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. They seized them, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men continued to grow. And so the religious rulers had a problem on their hands. But we see, first of all, that this plays out in the lives of Peter and John in that their message offended those who did not believe in Jesus Christ. And in this case, it was the rulers of the synagogue. They taught the gospel, and it brought conviction, and many people believed. And then they go on, the, the rulers in the uh, synagogue go on and begin to question them even further. And I'm going to continue reading here and just ask you to, to follow along. I'm going to start in um, verse 5. And it says this, The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And this is their question. And I want you to see this. By what power or by what name did you do this? Who gave you the right to do this? And Peter and John answer. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, on your outlines I have that, the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to work through them, and Peter answers. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says this to the men, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel know this, that we've done a, a good deed. Um, we've done something fine. And then he says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, this is how you know these people are Christians, by their message, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in them, and by their claim of authority. Where did they get the authority? To, to preach <clears throat> and to teach. They got it from Jesus Christ. And they speak in the authority of his name. The authority of his name is as though Jesus himself is speaking through them. It is as though Jesus speaks. He says, I give you the right to use my name. In fact, when he sent them out, he says, I'm sending you, go in my name. And because you believe, others will know that I live. Go in my name. Jesus says, I am giving you the authority to act in my name. As an ambassador, in my stead, I'm not here any longer. Go in my name. And so we see that in real life, these men are persecuted by their message because of their message. The world sees it and hears it, and they're offended. The Holy Spirit speaks through them. They're given the claim of authority to speak in Jesus' name, and the world does not 
agree with any of this. And so then we go on and see what happens to them because they're still being hassled. So I want to start at verse 11, and they're talking about Jesus, and he says, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected. He's become the capstone, the important one. They make this claim. Salvation is found in no one else. And here's the giving out of the gospel. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Now this gospel offended them. They're still hung up on the law. They did not love Jesus, these religious rulers. Peter offends them. And then they go on. We're going to look at their reaction to these words. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The religious leaders looked at Peter and John. They heard their testimony. They realized that these were ordinary people like we are, unschooled, untaught by seminaries or anything else. But they noted that they had been with Jesus. That's what God wants to happen to us in our real life. That we can give a claim to the gospel and a claim to the name of Jesus, and they will notice that we have been with Jesus. So what happens then is that um, they really look at them and they give them a compliment. I want to start at verse 14 and read down. It says, but since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing with them, there wasn't much they could say. They ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and the priests conferred together. And they said, what are we going to do with these guys? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle. The work of God was evident in them. This is what God wants people to see. The work of God was evident, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer in the name of Jesus. That name brings results. It also brings conflict. And then they called the men in again, and they commanded them not to speak or not to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather, rather than God. Is it better for us to obey you, or is it better for us to obey God? For we cannot help speaking what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. And this is what Jesus calls us to when he calls us to righteousness, to live like he lived, and to show forth his grace to the world around us, and not to be able to help but do it. Our lives are so, to be so on fire. And then this story ends with the disciples being let go. They, they couldn't put them in prison for fear of what would happen. Um, riots and things would break out. And so they let the men go. The men went home and joined other believers who were, who were praying and were praying for them. You see, God is able to guard what we've given to him to guard. When we come to him, he takes us as his child, and he guards us and protects us 
from those who would harm us when we're persecuted. He watches over every act that others do and protects us even in the course of persecution, and we need to remember that. Now, what this tells us then is that we can rejoice in, in persecution because persecution is proof to me that I am a believer. It proves to me that I am being persecuted as a natural outgrowth of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And during the course of that persecution, God is with me. Now I want to go on to the second thing that gives us cause to rejoice in persecution. And that's on the last page of the outline, number four. So we're to rejoice in persecution with, um, because we're believers, because it proves who we are. I know I am in Christ Jesus. I know who I am and have believed in. Now, persecution for the sake of Jesus is proof to me of where I'm going. I not only have him here on earth, but it's proof to me of where I'm going. So when we go back to Matthew, let me take you back to Matthew 5. I'm going to read that beatitude again. Blessed are you when people insult you. This is verses 11 and 12. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These two verses give us three cause, three causes to rejoice in persecution. The first one is this. <clears throat> if I am persecuted for the sake of Christ, I can rejoice because I'm going to heaven. Now, a lot of times when we think of heaven, we're not rejoicing. We think, oh, I don't want to leave my life here on earth. The disciples, the new Christians in the early church, praised God because they were counted worthy to suffer for persecution. Stephen was stoned. And when he was stoned before he died, heaven opened to him and he saw Jesus. He was happy to go there. Our, our attitude toward heaven itself needs to change. It's a reward for us because I can rejoice because I know I'm going to heaven. I'll see God. The second thing this, these verses tell us is we can rejoice for the sake of um, persecution because there is a reward in heaven. For great is your reward in heaven if you're persecuted. Now, the Bible doesn't say a lot about specific rewards for specific things, and it's not ever by merit, but only because God is so gracious, he rewards us. But we can know, because the Bible says it, that there is a reward for those who are persecuted. <clears throat> I always think back in the book of Genesis, God talked about um, a reward for Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I am your reward. He says, I am your shield, and I am your very great reward. And for Abraham, God himself was that reward. It ought to be that for us, that we give ourselves to God himself just because he himself is our reward. But in heaven, there is a reward stored up for those who are persecuted. And then thirdly, 
if I am persecuted because of righteousness, I'll be in very good company. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before me. Now, I want to just close um, what we've talked about this morning with some verses from Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles again, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to just point out some things that we learn about the walk of faith that helps us to rejoice in persecution. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And um, what the writer tells us here is why we can rejoice in persecution. And again, because of our faith in the Lord Jesus. I want to just start with verse 24 of Hebrews 11. Skipping over a whole lot of those others who have also gone through difficult things for the cause of Christ. But it says in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. He chose persecution. Rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as far greater than the treasures of Egypt. You see, God has a reward stored up in heaven far greater than anything we could imagine here on earth. Moses was willing to give up all of the riches of Egypt for the cause of his God. Um, I want you to take and, and look also at Hebrews 11.32. Let me just start reading there. Paul, the writer, goes on and, and he talks about this. He says, what more shall I say? <clears throat> I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Remember, for so persecuted the world these prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be relieved, released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Others were stoned and put in prison. Um, they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. And he goes on and on and talks about the perse persecution of believers. And then he gets to chapter 12, and I want to just close with these verses. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus in all of the things that occur in your life. Consider his righteousness. Consider his grace. Consider his behavior in the face of persecution. Consider him 
who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. And then a couple of verses from the very end of Revelation. Revelation 22.7 says, Behold, I'm coming soon, and you're part of that kingdom of God. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And then he says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. And that chapter in Revelation ends, verse 22, chapter 22, verse 20, says, Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's just bow in a word of prayer as we think about what Jesus suffered on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done, for your marvelous strength in persecution. Thank you, Lord, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness as we live here on this earth, that you, Lord, have promised us a reward in heaven as we live faithfully for you here. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you, who endured the cross, despised its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Help us to consider you and not grow weary as we live in this world where we know that we might face persecution. In Jesus' name, amen.